Hello everyone, and welcome back to Ear Read This. My name's Ash, and today, following on from yesterday's episode on Henry V, we have an extended interview with special guest Aaron Sidwell, who has recently played Henry in a terrific production for the Balm Theatre in Sirencester. Set in a contemporary, divided England with degenerating relationships with Europe, Aaron's King is a charismatic but unsure leader, slick and commanding at the podium, but privately wrestling with the responsibility of power. It's a menacing, frenetic production which I highly recommend you watch. It's free to do so on YouTube and I've left a link to the, in the episode description box below. Today I ask Aaron more about the rehearsal process and afterlife of the play, as well as his involvement in the YouTube series Bard from the Barn. But we started off discussing the differences between learning verse and prose. Yeah, there's 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 a there's a massive difference. So the reason that uh, Shakespeare was written in verse is because he was turning out plays every five minutes for his cast to to do, and so by by writing it in in verse, it helps you acknowledge where you're going wrong. It's interesting, really. I think if you take a speech like um, "To Be or Not to Be," the um, the verse jumps all over the place. You know, it's you, you've got your you've got your straight dedums, you've got your masculine and feminine you've got 12 line you've got 12 um uh syllable you know and it's all over the place and so by acknowledging and understanding what that means you are told exactly who the character is and and look as far as i'm concerned seria mckellen can do whatever the hell he wants because he's the most generous human being mm. when it comes to um supporting up-and-coming artists let the man go play an age blind hamlet all he wants to it is, however, completely against what the writer was telling you. I don't care because it's Syria McKellen, but go do whatever you want. Like go do whatever you want to do, but don't tell me that that it's a good thing that we're taking because it's not. It's so against the writing, and I, and 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 I can't I can't ever get on board with that. And so when it comes to learning the the verse of it, there's a there's a huge trick in there of of really saying uh, once more and do the breach to friends once more. By that, I know that I've not added in an A or a, or a two or a, you know mm. where it shouldn't be, and I'm also saying the words right because as, as fearfully as doth a gallard rock, you know if it was gold rock, I'm at a, I'm at, I'm at a nine. Why am I at a nine? Like mm. this doesn't make sense that I'd be at a nine. This is, and by taking the speech in that way and knowing in that way and looking at it and going it's just basically straight verse there's there's not he's not really playing around with anything here straight away i know that shakespeare's telling me this is who he is this is where he's happy and 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 in the heat of battle and 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 bloodshed he's speaking at straight verse like he 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 knows how to talk in this mode and and that's really interesting and so the verse is is wonderful and 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 fun and constantly throwing up surprises for you in terms of learning prose that 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 i think is tricky that i think is and and and, and in henry there's not too much prose for we have he really only has one moment well two moments in prose because Catherine, the scene with Catherine is in prose, but the the moment with the with the soldiers is in his confrontation with the with the soldiers. That's all in prose, and that I'm not I'm not going to lie. That was one of the trickier areas for me to learn. Mm. Um, I think in terms of just straight learning lines, I I think it's it's always beneficial to understand how you learn, like you. Sp- 
specifically learn. And for me, I, I know that I have a very good auditory memory. So I can recite you loads of Harry Potter because I have listened to the audiobooks so many times that it's just drilled into my brain in, in, in such a subconscious way. And so for me, I did just before the lockdown, I was doing a one man play. It was an, it was an hour and a half straight through multi-rolling character kind of situation. It's a guy telling a story. And so he plays all the parts that he would do. And that was mental. You know, it was, I can't, I can't remember specifically how many pages, but just sitting there and just, you know, sitting down and highlighting a script and realizing it's all you. <laughs> it's just absolutely mad. And so I recorded it all. Mm. By recording it all, it meant that it was right and that it was, it was going to go in. And I, and it's just the discipline of just religiously listening to that over and over again. The guy in our production of Henry V who played Pistol and Constable, who I also did Macbeth with later on in the year, who I adore and is just a wonderful actor. He really struggles to learn his lines, really, really struggles to learn his lines. And if he does, sometimes they're not right. And so I recommended to him, you know, he's got a home studio and I recommended to him go home, record your lines and just listen to them. And, and he came back the next day and he was like, they're in like that yeah. worked. That really, really worked. And so I think there's, there's varying techniques of helping you learn it. But yeah, the difference between poetry and prose in terms of learning is vast, but also in terms of performance is vast because those prose moments are really the writer kind of going, I have any strong opinions on how you should perform this. So I'm going to kind of let you decide a bit more. Whereas, you know, all the midline endings and, you know, colons and semicolons that he chucks in into verse is it really is him going, this is how you do it. Do it like this. This is what's right. This is what I intended and what I wanted. And I love that as an actor. I don't, I don't want to spend an extra two weeks trying to figure out what a writer 400 years ago wanted me to do. I want him to tell me through the way that he wrote. Mm. And that's, that's what Shakespeare's done. And that's why, you know, you've got Judy Dench on the news this week kind of going, well, my passion is theater. And it's, that's one of the reasons why is because you, you still have this level of writing and this quality of writing that is free for us all to do. There's no rights or, you know, rubbish to try and negotiate with, with people that, don't really have any place in the creative industry is like this is this is just about being free to express and 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 do any version of it that you want to do there's no state to protect like i think that's why so many movie stars came from came from shakespeare is because once you once you crack that or once you certainly are are thought of it being one of the best in your field at doing that, the, the, the view is just that you can do anything, mm. and it's because the 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 uh, the difficulty of getting it right, I think, is 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 up there. And so yeah, learning it, I I I'm, I'm never a fan of seeing a pro scene chuck my way because I go, oh, this is just going to take me a bit longer. Whereas the verse, just the you know the rhythm and the it's like learning music. Mm. It's really like learning music. Mm. Is it um, is it tricky in the modern climate to put on a play that is so nationalistic? One of the first things that Hal said to me in my audition was, what does it mean to you to be English? And I genuinely did not have an answer for him. I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything other than football and my allegiance when it comes to football 
of what it means to me to be English. I mean, I, I still don't feel it. I still don't. What, what it means to be me to be English is that my family live here. Basically, mm. I could I, ca I can't tell you anything else. But fascinatingly, this year, absolutely. This play is super naturalist, uh, uh, national nationalistic. You know, this is a lot of people were holding this up during Brexit. And I and, and, and I think that it is tricky. It is really, really, really tricky because I don't like the people that are in power in this country. I don't trust them. I don't trust that what what they're intending to do is right by all of us or right by one or two percent of us. And that that worries me. It it it, it puts me in. Um, in a scary mindset for where we are going to be as a, as a country in however many years time. But I also have the very clear understanding that if I want to up and leave, it's not that hard, you know, really. Um, I spent, I spent time in Germany. I spent six months in Germany doing work. I spent three months in Zurich doing work. And every single time I've come back to London, I felt like I was in, it was my home and I'm not actually from London. I'm from just outside. I'm from Kent, but London feels like my home and it always has done. And so if you ask me what it means to be a, a, a Londoner, even though, you know, birthright, I'm not, it means to me that I just love this place. You know, I love this place. It, it just, when I touch down from a plane, I just, you know, I, I just feel a connection to it that I don't feel with other places. But as a whole, as a country, like, no, I, I don't feel a particular connection to Stoke. <laughs> no disrespect to Stoke, <laughs> but I don't. Like, um, it's that field, that place feels like a foreign land to me in the same way that Frankfurt felt like a foreign land to me. Um, so it is, it is really, really tricky. It is really tricky to navigate the critique. But I also think it's, it's there for you. Know, I was just talking about leaders. It's there for you. It's plainly evident. You read the play and you see that we don't have a leader like that in this country right now. And if we did, we might trust them a lot more. Uh, we might believe that they had our best interests in mind. I'm a very evidential person. I think that the evidence displays to me what's going on. I think the Dominic Cummings situation, we could all see a fair amount of logic in what he did, but we could also see that that there was one rule for him and another for the rest of us. And I think that when you tie into the fact that he is Mr. Brexit, it tells you that their motives when it comes to Brexit aren't necessarily beneficial for us, but beneficial for them and keeping them rich. And that presents problems. And that presents problems when you come to dealing with a play like this because Henry's reasons for marching into war were beneficial for him and not necessarily beneficial for the entire country and beneficial for his men. It meant that he would just have twice the land to rule over. He would have yeah. twice the wealth. He would have twice, wasn't really going to help the people in the slums be any better off. It was just for him. And so playing with the idea that he was being manipulated by the church who openly say, you know, he's going to strip us of our wealth while he is a religious man. He knows that the country's dealt with a civil war not too long ago and that, you know, we're going to, you know, but he will take some of our wealth away. And how can we distract him from that? We can send him on a fool's errand, you know, and we mm -hmm. can send him on down, down, down a path that is probably not what's best for the country, but it's good for us. That's 
very, very real right now. And approaching those topics and approaching those issues is what challenged our audience and what challenged our reviewers and and made it clear that this was a commentary on now as much as it was a commentary on on what has once passed. And I think that mm. um, I think that that's just another prime example of how the arts are still relevant in society in such a deep way because we are the moderator you know we are the ones that 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 remind us of where we should aim to be socially um and where we should aim to be politically and reminds us that we're not there right now you know will we ever be there probably not but we've certainly been in better situations and we've certainly been in worse situations and you know right now what's going on in the country is it all the government's fault of course it's not it's you know this is a disease that came from china but we can still be critical of their choices that they've made in this time because that is what they are paid to do and and i think that the danger in in us as as a as a platform in the arts is that we should never be muted because that's our job our job is to remind people of morals and remind people of 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 the power that we possess and what we should be doing with it i would take that responsibility on artistically every day of the week if i had to because i think it's right Hmm. when it came to the rehearsal process was the was that element of the production the brexit concept built in from the start or did it evolve as you put together your production it was very much built from the start it was very much um uh, what what are we today um mm. thing and and at the time it was there was nowhere to look but brexit i think now i was going to say because it feels like a different was it Mar- march last year it was we went into rehearsal so it would have we would have auditioned probably in march last year um right. 2019 um that is uh we were in rehearsals from the end of april um so actually maybe uh, end of march early april we would have been auditioning and then we were we played through june predominantly so yeah it was it was a i think it was a tricky time it was i mean i say it was a tricky time we've been faced with what we're in now and that was what we're in now is is, oh god like you know (laughs) if only we could go back to to who'd have thought the march may (laughs) april 2019 geez but yeah it was uh it it, it was it, i think it was such a time of division there was it, we were so divided i mean the one thing that coronavirus you could say and brought back was that it put us all in the same boat all of a sudden well to a degree i mean there's you know three million people excluded but you know it, it certainly put us to a degree in in a position of unity that was what was made all more evident when you know people like Dominic Cummings were doing something different I suppose was that we were all doing one thing but at that time it it was so divided but what really struck me I think in the room was how unified we all were on the side of it right we all we all had very strong views and very strong opinions on what was happening and what was going on and uh, when Brexit actually happened I was working at EastEnders at the time and you know there you have a real mixed bag you certainly have a much 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 bigger company but it struck me even then how unified everybody was on where they Mm. on where they fell on this and and I think with um with with Brexit 
it was evident to us that we were going to a, a predominantly leave community with a piece of theatre that was that was very anti current establishment to a degree. I mean, it was still Henry V, but we were there was certainly um, an idea of what's it all for the entire time. And I think the thing that became really evident to me through this process of building this was that it was, it was a very important conversation to have. And I suppose the idea that that was there from the offset was that we're not going to shirk it. We are, we are going to have this conversation. And I saw three other productions of Henry V that year and I don't think any of them had that had truly fallen on the side of the fence I think that they they kind of dipped their toe into the Brexit pool whereas I felt like we plunged ourselves into it really whether people agree with that or not I think we struggled in ticket sales because (laughs) because of it but um but I think that we we said what we wanted to say and I think that that was more important to us at the time as as creatives and and for the theatre as well Um, another thing I wanted to ask about the rehearsal process and also the performance itself was we, we talked earlier about you being to some extent having this sort of triple nature to your character mm. Henry Hall and, and Harry and you're in an ens- ensemble of eight was it yes yeah and the, and there's so there's quite a lot of doubling up because the history plays a full packed full of characters I think I was the only one who didn't yeah. I think I was the only one who didn't double yeah what's that like for your sense of 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 the world around how when you've got eight or seven faces mm. doubling up and not this sense of endless people endless earls and nobles mm. and all of that what is does that help when it's tighter I, I honestly couldn't say because I've not done it the other way I think if I'd have done it the other way it might have made it a very different experience I think what it meant for us as a company was that nobody was nobody was doing more or less than me you know it was we were we were essentially all doing roles the size of Henry V yeah. I probably spoke a little bit more than they did because he did like to chat but you know they were running I was I you know I was auxiliary at times you know and and was helping people get into boots like mm. you know because that's that was what was going on and I love I love working in that way because the connection that you make with the people that you're with means that every night we went on that stage, just all for one and one for all, rather than me, yeah, me going on and being able to pick out who Bedford was and who Gloucester was and who Salisbury was. Um, but being able to kind of just go out and, and, and connect with them and then using the audience to really fill those other spaces. You know, when we had that, the execution of the three mutineers and then turning to what would now, would normally be his men on stage and going now soldiers for France, making that the audience. We're all, we're going, now we are all going to France. You're with me, you're with me. And so when it comes to a speech like St. Crispin's Day, where he picks people out and says, you know, Harry the King and Bedford and Exeter and Gloucester and Salisbury, turning to the people that were actually on the stage and using them, but then also turning to the audience and saying, we, we band of brothers, I suppose, helps them come in in a way. It doesn't make them feel like they're not, they're distant and not part of it. It makes them feel like I'm pointing to them and saying, you know, he who sheds his blood with me will be my brother. So it's all, it's, it, it's all about playing with it in that way. And I saw bigger productions that year 
and they didn't feel like they had the soul of ours. Mm. They didn't feel like they had the unity of ours. They didn't feel like they had the connection with the audience and with the players on stage that we had. Now, that could be a number of reasons. That could be because the director didn't find that or that could be because they were too many. But I think for me, I like working in these small companies with 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 doubling up and multi-rolling. And as long as you have the right people, I think the people that we had were brilliant at mm. being chameleons. You know, we had seven really uh, chameleonic people um, who could pick up that accent there and that physicality and that energy there and drop it and come in as someone completely different here, whether it was, you know, Johnny Wolf was the Dauphin, then switching into Nim. And they're so, you know, the Dauphin's this peacock and the Nim's this kind of hobo, cider, rolly smoking, you know, cheese loving, you know, West country bum. Like, you know, you've got this royalty and then that. And he was so good at separating those two that I never felt at any moment like I was on stage with Johnny. And I think that's great. And that's, you know, and, and so I think it, it depends on who, it, it, there's so many mitigating factors when it comes to that kind of thing. But when it comes to Henry V, I don't know that I could say just because I haven't done a production where I was on stage with 35 different actors. Got you. Um, I want to ask about Bard from the Barn and the, the speeches. Um, it's mm. an amazing project you've been doing. In, in brief, you've, 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 put together this portfolio of speeches from Shakespeare or, or short scenes that people have sent in and they've had to do adaptations sort of from their their room in a sort of zoomy zoomy type way but I, I love the fact that it's it's you get a, a microcosm adaptation by doing that it's it's it opens up a whole possible production in 30 seconds or five minutes or however long it is um, but you, it feels like a window into, oh, I wonder if they, yeah, what would it be like if they did Romeo and Juliet like that? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how you, how that got started and, um, and what it's like? So when, when the barn said to me that they were in trouble uh, and they were in real trouble, my immediate response was, what can I do to help? The first thing was that we could stream Henry V um, mm-hmm. and that could hopefully create donations. And, but I wanted to do more. For me as well, like this is not, I'm not, you know, you know, there are no selfless acts and that is very true. Like I wanted to do something. I'm not, I'm not one to kind of go, uh, oh great, that's endless hours to play FIFA. Like that's not me. I need, I need to have a focus for my mind. And so I had this idea about doing a, a very similar thing to what I'd seen before, you know, in, in people doing Shakespeare speeches, you know, um, and we immediately had the idea of that and then we went okay but how do we make this new and unique and different and the thing that we came up with was what's everyone in now we're like I was saying before we have this real unity now of we are all in the same boat we are all in lockdown Mm. we are all experiencing the same thing at the same time and so me and Hal put together that concept, went to the theatre and said, this is what we're thinking of. We got all the previous actors on board. Well, I say all the previous actors. We invited all the previous actors. We had around 34, I believe, or 33, I believe, previous actors. And then 
the wonderful uh, Tweedy the Clown came and did one for us as well, who was kind of working at the barn at the time. We went out to all the directors. We got about 11 of the directors, I believe. I brought on a couple of new ones, people that I already knew or that I'd worked with that I knew knew Shakespeare, mm-hmm. but that I also knew had an open mind. And we put together a little drop box. We put it out there to people. And then we sort of waited for the work to come back. Straight away, Hal and I got to work on um, Julius Caesar, uh, Mark Antony's speech from Julius Caesar. And I straight away was like, I wanted to be a press conference from a politician's home. That speech is all about having people interjecting and yelling, which throws him off uh, off tangents or he has to respond, you know, and kind of go, you know, Brutus is an honourable man. Like, I get that. But can you see the points I'm creating? But I guess it's weird because Brutus is an honourable man. You take that out of the concept of having this audience yelling and blah, blah, blah. And you kind of go, now I've got to put it on camera. Now I've got to do this. Now I've got to do that. It changes everything about that speech. And I think it makes it more complicated to perform because the minute you have the the pressure of the of the people there, you can respond as, as Mark Antony appropriately. Not having the pressure of the people or having the idea that the pressure is off camera. Mm. If you don't behave, you're going to go the same way as Caesar is super interesting. So how do you still achieve your goal as, as, as Mark Antony? And, and, you know, maybe it's a, I, I just can't do this and storm out, you know, and, and taking the mic off and putting the mic down and, and, and quick cut to beep, you know, as we see on the TV. And just the minute these ideas started ruminating, we just got so excited. But again, you are just throwing this idea out to, to 34 people that you don't necessarily know and kind of hoping that, that they get it. And I was bowled over by the response of these people. It bl- it blew me away. I could not believe some of the concepts I got. Just the, you know, the 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 uh, the, the reality TV star, you know, who broken lockdown protocol and 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 was defending herself in a trial by media, and that's Hermione from A Winter's Tale. And it's just <laughs> can't ever put those two things together in that way. And the director of that speech said to the actress, you know. I've never seen it in this way. And I don't know if I ever want to again, <laughs> you know, this is, we shouldn't do a play like this, but then you get a character like Romeo in lockdown. I mean, to start with, he probably would never have died. Or he'd have killed himself immediately. Or he killed himself immediately because he's so impetuous and just has to act and has to do something. But then you're going, you can't go outside for more than an hour. Mm. And, and so he has to then text Juliet. And the, and the idea that Juliet is in this flat opposite, you know, it's, it's, it's just awesome. And Jasper made that thing himself with, with Dom and Dom did the, you know, the drums and just it, it absolutely. Was, so, you know, one of the reviews we had back was just that they wanted to see a full scale production of Romeo and Juliet starring Jasper yeah. and, and Sarah, Sarah Louise, who played Juliet. Like they'd want to see that version. And I'm still every day bowled over by the response that we've had to it. And my kind of view on it is, well, what, like, why stop here? Why stop here with Bar from the Barn? Like, I, I have a production of Romeo and Juliet in my head. But the thing I've been battling really for the past year, because as I, as I kind of alluded to, I was disappointed with the ticket sales for Henry V. Mm. I was disappointed with the ticket sales for the Macbeth that I did. I'm slowly seeing the diminishing quality to Shakespeare in our society. But around the time that we did Henry V, there was a real debate on, uh, 
crap morning TV show like This Morning, where they barely debate anything because nobody sitting there is actually qualified to be debating the topic that they're debating. They were talking about the relevance of Shakespeare in education now. And it just baffles me because it's being taught so badly. I mean, how, you you know, you take a... It's like taking a Rolls Royce and 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 giving it to a, a learner driver and expecting them to drive that car to the precision that it was designed to be driven to. It's awful. You're handing these plays over to English teachers who's it's not a specialist subject. It's, they don't know what they're talking about. And so people can't relate anymore. They, you know, they, and, and even for me, I, I've watched productions at the at the RSC and the ones that have been on in in the lockdown period, and I don't like them. I look at a production and and kind of go, why do I like this? What every actor in this can't just be bad. And then I look at the director and I go, well, that's why I don't like it. You're the wrong person to tell this story. You're not right to tell this story. You're not, you know. And so what I felt with Bar from the Barn was that we were the right people to be telling the story because we were all in the situation at the time. Mm. But if I want to now put an episode out there about the Black Lives Matter movement, I sure as hell am not going to direct it myself. And I'm sure as hell not going to star in it myself because I'm not the right person to tell that story. And so this is for me being a first time producer where I think I have to be clever is that I need to make sure that I've got the right people to tell that story. And I've got the right, you know, the right people in place to make sure that that this is still a relevant topic because the words that are there, whether you're Brutus talking about killing Julius Caesar, that, that could be how a lot of people of colour are feeling right now, that they need to shake up what's going on in society and maybe they need to do something extreme to do that. It's all still relevant, basically. And I think that that was the, that was the main drive and main ambition with Bar from the Barn was make it relevant, make it topical, make it funny. And you've got the porter terrified at who's knocking at the door because he's a hypochondriac and <laughs> and, and and him going outside to realise that it's just a, a goodwill donation of toilet paper. People loved that video. Nick, Nick Bottom having a dream about, you know, life before lockdown and him being like, oh God, it was, it was a wonderful thing. And it was this and that. I've never ever related to Bottom's dream in that way. I, 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 I just, I must've watched it seven times, but then Richard II in lockdown doing a vlog, Ben Boscovich's performance in that moved me. It really moved me. And I just, I didn't really, I didn't like the play and appreciate the language as much as I, as I did when I watched that, I was bowled over by it. So it's been really cool. We've got series two starts on on Monday, which are, you know, 6th of July, that will be. A little bit in the past, I think, when this actually comes out, but 6th of July. So you'll have some waiting for you. Yeah, <laughs> you'll have some there, but it's duologues now. We've now tried to challenge ah. now how do people communicate with each other during lockdown? Um, oh, and obviously at the time that we shot it and the time that we predominantly edited it it was still in lockdown I know life is moving a bit more now um, but it was still in lockdown so how are people socializing and communicating with each other in that way so we've had a few zoom calls but we've had a few other awesome things we've got a, a you know two two females as as Romeo and as Juliet um, one in Australia and one in the UK and it's the great scene where they're debating whether it's morning or whether it's night and whether he's got to go or whether he's got to stay. <laughs> and 
you know, it, you just watch it and you go, oh my God, this is, this works. It really, really, well. really works. And so the big game and the big drive for me and the big ambition for me was to get people that didn't have preconceived conceptions of Shakespeare and, and were really open-minded and, and, and didn't necessarily know it as this, you know, performance based kind of thing, because I knew who our competition was. Our competition was the Globe with Love in Isolation. Our competition was going to be the RSC doing soliloquies. I'm not sure if they ever ended up doing that or not, but that was what they were going to do at the time. And we can't compete against those guys, you know, in terms of the followers that they've got or in terms of the reach that they have. You know, the uh, Love in Isolation was in partnership with The Guardian. We mm. did not have that. So we had to do something cleverer. And I've um, I've done a lot in my career where I've worked with, on shows or with companies that did not have the budget of previous productions. And so we had to be clever about what we did. And I love that. And I would work in that way all the time if I could. So that's what this was all about. It was how, how clever can we be with our limited, limited resources. But um, mm. it's been, it's, it's been challenging and really trying, but it's also been so much fun to do. And, just the uh, invitation to just step inside, I think, has been the one overwhelming thing that we've we've really had from every single reviewer is they've just kind of gone, I'm trying to figure out who this is for because I think it's just for everybody. <laughs> and that's exactly what I wanted. That, that was just the goal of this from the outset was just to kind of go, this is for everybody. The first interview I did was with a, um, was with the Metro with their soap opera reporter because i was like i want this to go to the soap opera fans i want them to know and understand that this is what shakespeare if shakespeare was writing today he'd be writing for eastenders this is this is come and come and join in this is for you as well and it really and it highlighted some lack of diversity in our industry that i wasn't quite aware was there you know particularly on the um on the creatives side you know directors or stage managers or you know, producers or you know, administrators in theatre, there's not there's not a huge cultural diversity there. I really struggled to find black directors, and that's you know, that's um that's a truth that I wasn't really quite aware of until I cast it out to absolutely anybody who wanted to be involved, and you know, came up still fishing. Really, I think that um that was a real eye opener for me and was something for me to kind of go, right. Okay. Well, there, there's clearly is an issue. I don't believe it's with all of us. I don't believe that it's, that it's the issue is that, that it starts here. I don't believe that we're blocking pathways in the industry. Maybe that maybe we are. I don't personally feel like we are. I think we have a real issue at grassroots. I think we have a real issue and that, you know, comes back into the disagreements with the government and axing, axing it from education or not applying it in education in the right way. And that goes for theatre in general. People not understanding the pathway from theatre to TV and film. People not understanding that if you want to be on a show like EastEnders as a kid, you need to follow the the, the paths that everybody that's in it got there to, to you know, like, and so there, there presents a goal for me, you know, and there presents a, a, a real purpose for me now to kind of go, Right. Well, if I want to continue in this journey of of helping produce and helping, then I need to I need to acknowledge that we we have a problem right 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 down. And and my fear with with what's going on with COVID is that we make theatre more exclusive, because you know it's going to be something that goes from our education. It's going to be something that the Arts Council you know are stripped away from. And 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 so what happens then? It becomes extracurricular. 
the people that can afford to pay for extracurricular things are working and developing in theatre at a young age. And, and that's problematic because I don't think then that we'll be telling stories in the right way or having the right people, as I said, to tell those stories. You know, I think um, there's going to be a lot of stories to do with, with COVID that I'm not, I'm not relevant to tell, you know, my, you know, even the fact that they say that BAME community are at greater risk because of the jobs that they do of, of, of dying from this than, than I am, you know, in my privileged position in, in, in my Kent home and being a, being an actor I think there's always there's always stories to tell and it's like I said about the Michael Jackson thing the really great storytellers are the ones that that connect with the story and I I struggle to connect with certain stories and nine times out of ten when I watch a production and I struggle to connect with it it's because the storyteller was wrong the storyteller was the wrong person to be telling that story and I I think it's okay to accept that you're not the right person to tell that story. Mm. And I think that places like the RSC or the Globe or the National Theatre, they need a real shake-up, man. Like, you know, they need a real shake-up as to who is in the position to tell the stories. And, you know, I'm not saying that I just want to see all the white people eradicated from these positions, but I think that we're lacking in cultural diversity. And I think that for me, that became evident when producing something like this. And it's, you know, you have to ask yourself how you can help. Another thing that's come evident, which you, which you mentioned before, was just how much more innovation. And I, I feel like I've seen nine interesting adaptations of Shakespeare or, or however many from watching those um, Bath in the Barn clips. And elsewhere as well, um, Shakespeare in lockdown, things like Show Must Go Online. There's, there's, it, it feels uh, quite, quite revolutionary in a lot of ways. We don't know what how theatre will return when, and it looks like it's going to be an industry that re- returns pretty much last, um, given on mm, mm. what it what it depends on. Is there is there hope? Do you think that some of that creativity and innovation will carry across? I think in any crisis. Good things happen and bad things happen. You know, whether it's the the plague and then realizing that rats running around the place were, were, were the things that were, you know, carrying the disease everywhere. And why were there so many rats? Because the conditions were awful, like just so bad. You know, the way they were disposing of waste and things like that. And so innovation came in the light of that. And I think that everything is the same. Everything is the same. We have we have been too reliant for too long on Theatre being live to make money. I was in a show that I believe was good and I believe had an audience that was not for live theatre. It was uh, written by a guy who was embusted. It was all about, you know, teenage kind of sexual desire to a certain extent, but also about the creation of email and the invention of email. And it had a real pop punk kind of tone to it. And the people that saw it loved it but we just couldn't market it for an open-ended run in the west end where our overheads were extortionately expensive and really our audience needed to be paying 10 pounds ticket to to kind of come in that doesn't mean that the show couldn't have have done more and couldn't have been more successful and what i hope that we see is a changing of the rights issues in theatre. You know, if you're going to buy the rights to a production, you should be offered the rights to record 
live performance as well. And so then what you do with that live performance, say of the show that I did, like Loserville, which lost two and a half million pounds in three months, is you live record that, you stick that then on a on a DVD or you stick it up on a on a paid for streaming site and that producers losses are suddenly depleted and that that the actors that were involved in that continue to make money and royalty off of that whatever size that be depends on the success of the show and I think with a musical like Hairspray its only success really kicked on when it became a movie because now my daughter who is eight years old suddenly watches Hairspray. If that had just been a show of its time and had just happened in its time, then, you know, how much would we all like to go back and see, I mean, we're talking about Saria McKellen playing Hamlet at the age he is now. How much would we all like to be able to go back and watch him at the appropriate age do it? Oh, yeah. We'd all love it. Mm. So why shouldn't we be able to? Why should we not be able to watch Andrew Scott's interpretation of Hamlet? Why should that be cut off? Like, I'd pay, you know, but I'm not going to... I'm not necessarily going to have the time or the ability to go and watch it in the time constraint that it was on in. And by doing this, and if we do this, this is how we make theatre inclusive. This is how we introduce an audience who can't necessarily make the trip to London because it costs them 200 quid just to get there Mm -hmm. you know maybe they don't have the ability to spend 70 pounds on a on a live ticket i get that that live is is still is going to cost money because it's still going to have overheads but that's fine you know people still pay to go and watch live football just because it's on television it does not diminish the experience of being in the stadium when it happens and i think that dinosaurs have been running our industry for too long And if the biggest innovation that comes out of this is that all of a sudden, yes, there may be less work. That is, that is, there's no two ways around that. There, there is going to be less work because, you know, seeing situations down in, down in Plymouth or down in Southampton, or this is a reality, but it's reality for every industry left, right and center at the moment, we are going to lose businesses. But if we can make the business that we do have more financially viable for everybody involved that can only be a good thing Mm. that can only be a good thing you can only grow your audience i said before that we really struggled with ticket sales for henry v however since that's gone online it has had nearly twenty thousand views we were a 200 seater theater tiny little theater in the cotswolds we were never going to be able to put that out to twenty thousand people in its run ever Mm. mainly because people have other things going on or maybe because they're holding their money back because they wanted to see the 39 steps when it came in after us. That's okay. That was just more to their live experience taste. But the minute that we offered it to them in a streaming service, well, they all sat down and watched it. Now, Mm. if we charged one pound to all those people, I'm sure that 15,000 of them would probably have still paid one pound. And suddenly we've got 15 K in the bank that we didn't have before, you know? Mm. And I think that, I, I was really upset by the National Theatre just giving away content. I understand why they did it. I, I just think we could have been so much smarter about that as an industry. We could have valued ourselves so much greater as an industry. We have to start treating live theatre like we treat film and television. We have to. That needs to be the big change that comes out of it. I hope it is. I'm not overly convinced 
that the right people have learned the right lessons. But I hope, I hope that we can be smarter. And I hope that we respect now online content because it hasn't ever really been respected. It's never really been viewed as, you know, I did online dramas back in the day, which is never really viewed as, as actual work. Mm. And I hope that they can be viewed in that way now. And I hope that what what we've shown with Bar from the Barn is that, yes, we've all seen a million different interpretations of Shakespeare. We really have. But we've all seen them in the same format. And that's the problem. And that's why it doesn't feel fresh. And that's why it doesn't feel different. It's because we've all been watching it in a theatre. In whatever capacity we've been watching it, we've been watching it in a theatre. Whereas the minute we've been able to put it online and put it in this in this new way, all of a sudden people's minds have been blown at, at, at seeing you know nick bottom's dream in this way <laughs> you know yeah. or, or or seeing um petruchio tricking people into a barbecue that he has no intention of throwing so that he can steal their food like it's 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 so fun and silly and it and it means that people can engage and and that's that's the purpose of what theater is about it's, it's about making people think and making people engage and you know personally i've seen loads of productions in this time that i wouldn't have seen because they happened yeah. while I was working in Germany or they happened while I was just not physically around or, or I just had other things going on or yeah. wanted to see something else, you know? And I, and I hope, I really, really hope that this is, that, that, that this is a change. And I tweeted that quite early on in the crisis. I really hope this is a change and, and the, 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 either the people that don't want to do it move on and we say bye-bye to them and that they go and sit on their pensions and we allow uh, a new breed of creative to um, to run this industry, or that those people get with the times, yeah. And 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 we start, you know, we start changing for for for, for good. Uh, yeah. How how would anyone have seen if that Petruccio moment, for example, was a clever moment built into a production of Taming of the Shrew? How would someone who would you know, maybe go, but maybe not. Oh, it's Taming of the Shrew. There is another thing on, like you say, 39 Steps, mm. might save my money. Who would have seen that moment um, if it was just part of a show? There is no way. And in terms of trailers for, I suppose, you you can make those, but they're often awful. Like, yeah, yeah, the yeah, RSC yeah, ones, yeah. it's an actor on a stage and horrible overdubbed lines and <laughs> someone's yeah. to, flicking the lights once or twice. They're not really great selling points um, unless you already know what you're going to. So exactly, like, this is putting... The strengths, the the highlights first, and telling people, yeah, this is what you can do. Um, Absolutely. I want to ask you to um, shout out where people can f- can find all this, as well as the stream of your production. I'm conscious we've been talking now for two hours, and I don't, I don't want to take oh my word. any more of your time. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I've been making a, a bit of a tradition of asking guests, since this is a book podcast, if they've got any book recommendations connected to what we've been talking about or not, anything that you've got. Uh, yes, uh, for relatability to Shakespeare, I would always push people in the direction of Shakespeare on Toast by Ben Crystal. Ah, yes. I think it's fantastic. I think it um, it's, uh, I I consider myself a novice on Shakespeare, as I said, but, but a, an informed novice uh, and certainly one who has performed Shakespeare. And I still learnt loads from reading it, loads reading it. You know, it's it's a, it's a fascinating book, but in terms of just just generally broadening your mind and 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 just opening yourself up to possibilities, you know, I really a lot of what I listen to is kids literature. Oh, really? Because I don't. I, I really struggle when it comes to reading. I I 
am so, so dyslexic. And I really struggled as a kid. And my mum used to make me listen to audiobooks. And the first one she kind of, you know, had all the Roald Dahl ones as a kid. But the ones that I really remember kind of grabbing me with Harry Potter ones, mainly because it's just Stephen Fry being a wizard of a speaker, apart from anything else, and a storyteller, it's phenomenal. But the way that they can just open up your mind and broaden your mind to storytelling possibilities, I think, because we do that with kids, we really aim at kids going, learn these lessons, we'll learn it in a fun way. They're just awesome. Like a lot of kids literature is just incredible. And, Mm. you know, some of the messages that David Walliams is putting in his books, like a lot of politicians today could sit down and, and, and learn something from those books, you know, like, and, and I like the fact that places like the RSC are, are, are looking at this stuff and kind of going, yeah, we're going to do the boy in the dress. It's a really good, solid story with a brilliant message. A little bit wayward on the songwriters and Guy Chambers and Robbie Williams probably had their day, but, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's good stuff to, to, to be doing that. So I would always push people in the direction of Harry Potter because I think it's just phenomenal, like phenomenal. But also, yeah, the Wallium stuff as well, I think is, is really good. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I, where can people find, if they haven't already, Bard in the, from the Barn and your own um, Henry V as well, what we've been talking about? So they're both essentially in the same place, which yep. is the Barn um, Theatre Sirencester, because apparently there's another Barn Theatre. I think it's uh, not not, as, not a professional one, but the Barn Theatre Sirencester's Facebook and YouTube pages. But when it comes to both of them, I mean, they are both on YouTube and you can both, you can just, you know, individually type Bar from the Barn and you would get every single episode on a playlist, which you can just click play all and it will just play you all 35. Or you can go through and go, oh, I'd quite like to see what they do with, with you know with that speech or you know or whatever and and you can dip your toe and see if it's for you and 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 enjoy yourself like i said series two goes up uh starts going up from the 6th of july 2020 so that will all be there we are in production on series three of bar from the bar wow. um which has just got some utterly phenomenal actors on board you know that we will know from netflix series and theater and we've really you know we open that net even wider and henry the fifth Type in Henry V, the Barn Theatre on uh, YouTube and you will get the whole production there. That is not going to go anywhere. That is going to be here, pre, post, mid, every COVID kind of style you could get. It's just going to be there. And uh, please excuse some of the technical glitches that we have in it. It was put together as quickly as possible to get people material as quickly as possible. But uh, there are certainly some technical glitches. Uh, but we hope that it's... Um, you get what we were going for really is the main thing I think with that. And, and hopefully, hopefully it has a, that specific production has a life, but like I said, I, I don't feel like our, our journey as a creative team is, is uh, over with Henry yet. Mm. Well, I'd love to see more from it. I'd love to see um, Falstaff enter the story and, or see where you take Cal next. Um, Aaron, thank you so much. This has been uh, such a treat to talk to you and um, thank you. And best of luck with, um series two and three as well amazing thank you so much yeah and that brings us to the end of today's podcast a huge thank you once again to aaron sidwell check out the links below in um the episode description box to watch his henry v in action and catch up on all three series of bard from the barn we'll be back very soon but in the meantime happy reading 